the Intersection Education Podcast. Schools are the place where different institutions, services, and societal influences meet. In other words, they're at the intersection of children's lives. In the Intersection Education Podcast, we speak with insiders and outsiders of the education world to try to gain new insight and improve our schools. Hello and welcome to the Intersection Education Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Haley. Today we're speaking with Dr. Leanne Peters, who is the Assistant Superintendent of Learning and Instructional Development at Sunrise School Division in Manitoba. She has a long educational history as Assistant Principal, Principal, and Assistant Superintendent. And she's also been quite involved with MASS, the Manitoba Association of School Superintendents, for many years, helping to deliver professional learning to teachers and leaders. You can connect with her at Leanne underscore Peters L. Now, if you like what you're hearing, connect with us, Intersection Education. You can go to our website, intersectioneducation.com, follow us on Twitter at Intersection Ed, or even on Facebook, and we really appreciate it when you rate us on iTunes and leave a review. Here's our conversation with Dr. Leanne Peters. Hello, Dr. Leanne Peters. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. Happy to be here. I'm I'm really happy to have you on, and I'm uh, been looking forward to this conversation for a little bit here. Um, you know, I it's kind of timely because I was uh, uh, looking up some of the articles that you've written, and I saw an article that you that just came out. Um, it's called "Leaders Are Learners," and it just came out with the Mass, the Manitoba Association of School Superintendents magazine. And I want to start there. When you when you think of that term or that saying, leaders or learners, what do you think of, and and why do you think that it is so important for for leaders to be um, learners, and and you can tie that to schools, like learning organizations, or or not? Why why do you think that leadership and learning are so tied? Yeah, I think they are tied together. Because I'm not sure how often people think about their leaders as actually spending any time learning or enhancing their own skills and expertise in any particular area or generally. And so I'm pretty passionate that as superintendents in our Manitoba Superintendents Association, that we make some of our learning visible to uh, the province. In fact, the education community in the province. When I was researching for this article, I went back through my notes. So I've been a part of the organization for nine years. And I've kept all of the, you know, you keep all the PowerPoint slides. I still have paper copies of stuff. And started flipping through some of the things that I noted, some of the things that resonated with me. And was able to piece together some really interesting things. And it led me a bit down the garden path uh, to thinking about how we don't often, I think, revisit some of the things that we've heard or attended or seen before. And so I pulled some of those nuggets forward and went, oh, those will fit in my current context. 
oh yeah, I'd forgotten that idea. That makes some sense. How can I play with that? Uh, so I'm pretty passionate about that and keeping learning and leadership at the forefront for our organization. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of leading and learning and those two things, how they come together, um, you, you've been a leader at multiple different levels of schools. And I imagine that you've seen many ways to organize professional learning. So now we're talking about our own personal learning, but also leading the learning of those that we are entrusted to, to, to help do that learning. And I'm interested to know if you have had any insights either recently or through through that experience uh, of multiple, multiple leading at multiple levels of schools. Anything that you think really impacts how you think about how we help teachers to learn, how we organize professional learnings, and how we how we really can best and maximize that building of teacher expertise. Yeah, for sure. I I've had a number of things come through that I think have been useful and valuable. When I think about organizing professional learning for a system, I think about uh, keeping that big picture in front and making that visible to the audience as well. I would rather say more than less and not hide that from folks. So when I think about teacher expertise, certainly Simon Breakspear's work jumps to the forefront, and that's, of course, where you and I connected, uh, which was super cool. And I guess I'm fortunate to be able to dabble with that now in my second school division. So I got to take some of the learning that I had done and perhaps the mistakes that we had made and move forward and say, hey, uh, here's how it's going to go. One of the things that I think is especially important when thinking about teacher expertise and when you think about uh, principals as my classroom, I think about how to differentiate that. I am not a fan of whole-scale, large-scale PD. Uh, The less of it, the better. The more focused, the more directly connected to student learning and achievement, uh, as close as pinpoint to pinpoint for me, is critical. So, in fact, I don't often function or I try not to function in a rollout, this is what we're all doing. But I've really tried to be thoughtful and deliberate and think about who might be ready to hear this message and then shape the message so that it's aligned. The other thing I think that we miss when we think about professional learning is we don't explicitly make connections for people repeatedly. I think like any audience, sometimes you need to say it two or three times. And you've heard, I would imagine, oh, all this just is one more thing and it's not connected to anything that we're doing. So let me take the learning teaching sprints and say, hey, it is connected to the work you're already doing. It's a frame, it's a process that you can use with your professional learning communities. It's not a separate thing from your professional learning communities. And let's map it out so you can see how that connects and builds. Oh, well, that makes sense, right? Then it feels like it's a natural fit and not 
a square peg in a round hole. Can you give me an example of that idea of making it visible or clear? So, uh, I mean, you've, as I've, as you've said, you've been through two levels, uh, through school divisions as a superintendent. Can you think of an example where it's like, oh, no, we, we had to really make this clear um, what our direction was? I'm thinking that that's what you're getting at um, or what our, what our approach is, what our values are, um, just so that people have, have some, some sort of concrete example of ways to make that, make that happen. Yeah, I think, I think our schools and our school leaders have really good ideas about how they want to improve student learning. I think sometimes they still would like to live in the land of general. Uh, it's really challenging to get it pinpointed to something specific and targeted. Uh, it's much nicer to say, oh, we're just going to improve literacy, which is a vast uh, topic. And and so they do that, and then they say, many of our kids achieved high levels of literacy. Check, check, good. So I think in terms of making it visible, it's starting to ask the right questions of our principals to say, hey, how can we make this more specific? How can we narrow this focus to a laser-like focus and actually get something done and accomplished? And so, yeah, I invite them to think sort of more sharply around what it is that they'd like to accomplish And you may know this already. I'm going to reveal my big secret. I live in the land of gray. I am one of the least black and white people. And so I find it really challenging to say, all of you are going to do this when I know in my heart that it doesn't fit. And so we've said, let me give you a concrete example. Focus only on one school goal. That's really important. And then If you're a high school and you have a numeracy goal, your English department and your phys ed department, for example, and your vocational department are not that interested. So again, I said, okay, well, how about you organize so that you have, I'd rather you have a couple of goals that are meaningful and that you can work on than one goal that loses large portions of your staff. Yeah. I think that's an excellent example and just helps people see what, what you're talking about there when you're talking about the clarity. And I and I appreciate that you're talking about the complexity of this idea that, you know, we, 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 we need to make it relevant for, especially in some older grades, um, the different specialty areas. Because I think that that's... Um, I mean, as a as a as a former high school person, that that's that can be a source of contention for for a lot of departments. If they don't see themselves meaningfully engaged in the work or how they can, then then they're often going to kind of tune out or or do they're not going to get passionate about it. And I think that that's what we want. We want people to get really excited about the professional learning that's happening. But I also think, just to jump in, that I it's important to give people permission to do that an ongoing permission to do that. There seems to be a need um, for some approval. And so I I give that freely. Go ahead, try it. Uh, I'm also okay if it doesn't work and you need to backtrack. I'm also okay if your goal is a disaster. You know, I'm interested in in your your thoughts around this. and, and, And this might lead, this might have different 
perspective, right? Because you're at a school leader, uh, you're a system leader, as opposed to a school leader. And we've had a lot of conversations around, you know, should a school have one focus that everyone can cater, or two foci, two two things that they're going, as opposed to just blowing the doors off and say, okay, do whatever you think um, will help your students. And so you might have 10 different areas that teachers are working on, or, or do you think that it's better to focus on maybe one or two or some of those things? Um, I realize that this is a circular debate, but where's your thinking on that today as I ask this question? Yep. I think it's not 10 and it's more than one. Uh, I, I Good do answer. Think, <laughs> remember, Gray, I do think that just busting it wide, wide open uh, tends to create challenges for the school leader because they're trying to track and have meaningful conversations in so many areas that I think it just gets lost and, and muddy. I, I do think if there's opportunity to scale that in ways that make sense, uh, that that is the way to go today. I'm interested to know, as you've progressed from a school leader to a system leader, if there's anything that you kind of wish you would have known that would have helped you as a school leader. So when you were a principal or when you were working in schools, is there anything that you see now and it's like, man, if I really would have known that or if I would have had that perspective, it really would have helped me out as I was working in, in a school-based environment? I can think in my early days as a vice principal or assistant principal that I wasn't always clear on the divisional direction. And so that has resonated with me. And when I made the shift to my first assistant superintendent job, the division I walked into had a learning vision that had two things, literacy and numeracy, period. We can't do any more than that. We're not going to find a way to loop into those. Everybody could speak the language. Everybody knew what it was. You could walk into any school and know that. So I think, yeah, I I then drifted in my own ways to to plan for my school because I didn't necessarily have that kind of bigger picture thinking. And I think I was craving it. Uh, some of those pieces. Yeah. And that's, it's tough to, it's tough to think about how you get that perspective. I guess that, that, that is earned through uh, experience that's earned through, you know, it's, it's, it's attained by conversation. Uh, and I think about, you know, the role of the system leader in helping those those school level leaders to gain that perspective about what is the what is our our vision? Um, maybe not our mission. I'm kind of less, mm. you know, schools often have a mission and a vision and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like our mission is is pretty standard. People understand why schools exist, but our vision that can be a little bit more aspirational. And so, and it's not always clearly understood because as we're learning and as we are trying to maintain our focus and our motivation as, and, and get other people, the, the people that we're, we're serving, um, the teachers and uh, support staff, getting them motivated and keeping them motivated, it helps to have that, that aspirational vision for, for where we want to go and why we're doing this and why we're struggling through you know, the next round of professional learning and all that kind of stuff. So I, I appreciate that. Um, I want to talk about something that uh, I know you do a lot, 
And I'm, I'm actually in awe of your reading list. Um, I, I aspire to read as much as you do. And I want to know, how do you, how do you do it? What are some of the tips that you would give to me, the person who aspires to read as widely and as much as you do to, to get to either find the time or to, to get passionate about it? Um, what works for you? I've always been a reader, so that helps just to actually just like to do it. I, I say that we always have time to do the things that are important to us. So for some people, it's working out. For me, I am up before five o'clock, let's say every day. And so I take at least 15 minutes to read a chapter. Absolutely. I try and make that time. I also try and leave I, a book on my desk. And so when I get to the office, those first 10 minutes, I grab my coffee and, and it's quiet. I'm there early, quickly read through a chapter, make sure it's accessible, right? Don't have, Oh, it's the book is at home and I need it here. Find the thing that you like. If you're a digital reader, great. If you're a paper reader, great. The other thing for me is I'm driven to read things that other people recommend to me. So if you know me at all, uh, and you will know that if you mention a title and say, hey, that's really interesting, it's in my Amazon cart within two minutes and at my door the next day. And I will, it's like creating my own little book club and other people don't know they're in my book club, but now I can talk to them about this shared book. So I take that really seriously. I I uh, I can personally uh, vouch <laughs> for that. Uh, the last time I think we were together, I, every time I would mention something in the oh yeah, well, I'm gonna take that and 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 yeah. So that's it's really great. But it, you know, when you're talking about that, it sounds like it's more than just the knowledge. It sounds like there's almost a meditative contemplative aspect to that that kind of is bigger than just the book and it's maybe about health do you, do you think that that's a, a piece of it yeah i i actually track my reading so i keep a list and i have for about 10 years and i keep the title the author and the date and so i actually trend and see and i can match that up with times in my life when i'm really busy and somewhat stressed that I read less. I just can't find the time. Um, and times like over the winter holidays, then I seem to be able to find more time to do that. It's interesting. It's almost like a, like a metric of, of where you're at. I think that that's, <laughs> that's really good. I, what I like about that is that it's something that you can, you've seen as kind of an indicator of how you're doing. I wish, yeah, more people, I wish we had such such other indicators. I mean, I guess you'd said, you know, some people, they work out or they can probably track that and good times in their life. Maybe they're, they're more physically active. Right. Okay. But it's not all, sorry, it's not all um, uh, highbrow ideas that I'm after. There's a few cheesy chick lit kind of things. I, I cannot tell a lie. Love it. Love it. How, how many are you up to this year? Do you know what's, what's the count at? So we 36. are, uh, we're in May of of the year and how many are we at what do you say 
36. 36 already. That, like I yeah. said, I aspire to read as much as you. You inspire me. All right. Um, let's move on to, to education a, a little bit more generally. I'd like to know if there's something about learning or about education that you believe is true. But when you mention it or when you talk about it, you people disagree with you about it. They don't they don't actually think it's as true as you do or maybe they don't understand it and they they question why you believe whatever you just said. I believe in the expertise of teachers and the expertise required in the teaching profession. And I think there's been a shift. My hunch is that there's been a shift that teachers are no longer the experts. And I had an early principal tell me, as long as I can find a good person, that's fine. They can, they can teach. And I would hold dearly to the fact that as an English teacher, my expertise is really important in being able to move those learners further, faster, and higher because I know inside and out the progressions, for example, of writing at a high school level. So when I'm consulting with students and having those kinds of uh, writer's workshop conversations, I don't need to sit and hope that I can help that student to move forward. I can say, hey, you need more descriptive language. Here's exactly where it needs to go. And you, student X over there, you actually need to work on a hook because it's bland. And so it's a different lesson, but I know where you need to go. Uh, So I really, and I think more of a high school perspective, but I think those disciplinary uh, teachers with strong passions and understanding, a deep understanding of their discipline are still required more than ever um, to share and understand content area literacy, reading like a historian, reading like a mathematician. Um, I think that's all really important. And I don't always get that sense that people think um, it is as important as I do. And although I wonder, with uh, remote learning happening and some frustrations from parents, I think there may be a shift again to recognizing that this is more challenging uh, than their perception had been. Yeah. Yeah. It's yet to be seen what the enduring effects of um, this COVID pandemic, as well as the remote learning will have. Right. I I think that we, we, yeah, we definitely have yet to see what that's going to be. Um. Maybe that's that's kind of tied to our next my next question, and that's about learning environments. And we've seen a pretty huge shift in learning environments over the last little bit. When you think about the best experiences that you've had where you've learned the most, what was it about them that made them powerful? What was it about the the whole environment where that learning took place? Uh, was it the people, the places, the activities that you think contributed to actually making the learning experience better? For me, the most powerful learning experience happens when I'm in the driver's seat. And the less restrictions placed on me, the better. 
And so for an example, when I was working on my doctorate, I had a professor say to me, just hang tight, you will like it in your second year and third year when you get to writing your own thing, because you can actually drive that any way you would like. And I appreciated that as I listened to colleagues who were still wanting lots of parameters and lots of support. And I don't understand that. I wouldn't ask those questions. I would just say, leave me alone. I'll check in if I need you. And I'll ask for feedback. So I think in terms of it's it's the choice, and we see it if I tie that back to students or to principals providing opportunity for as much choice as possible. When I think about uh, some of the learning opportunities I've had, it's not necessarily been the sessions that I've sat in, but it's been dinner with the presenter, uh, an opportunity to have that one-on-one or two-in-one conversation and pick apart ideas. I love the rattling of ideas as they bounce off of each other and intersect and uh, come out into something new. I love how you brought that back to student learning um, because we often say that. It's interesting how many adults tell me it's when I'm in control and when I have you know agency and voice and all that kind of stuff. And I think to a traditional, um, especially older years, high school class, and I say, well, how much... How much agency, how much choice are we giving our students, yet we're expecting them to be as engaged? So I'm glad that you made that already. But but even more, I like that you, you brought that back to your teachers, because that's really our classroom students, um, kind of that relationship. So I was wondering, the next one is, do you have a favorite failure or a favorite success? And what I mean by favorite is... Did you have a situation where you were either wildly unsuccessful or wildly successful that really informed future decisions, where you learned a really important lesson and you said, hey, I, you know, this is something that I really have to think about for for coming decisions or, or kind of integrate into my practice going forward? Well, sort of, but I would say that it was more a pivotal moment in defining my own personality. So there's a little story here. I was teaching in Japan. I was teaching English as an additional language in Japan. I was in my early 20s. I was not yet a teacher. I was in between degrees and restless. And fast forward, I'm in a city and uh, one of the parents said, hey, can you come and do a lesson in this school? And so she drove me to this school, and I think I shadowed a teacher. I can't even remember. But the part of the story was she then said to me, she dropped me off on the side of the road and said, I've got to go. Can you get home on your own? And I said, sure. And I had no idea how I was going to do that. So, And it was pouring rain. It was rainy season. So I walked, and I walked, and I walked, and I saw the train station in the distance. And I knew if I could get myself to the train station, I knew how to get home. I wasn't so familiar with the buses or any other mode of transportation. So I, so I walked and I kind of, as the crow flew, meandered my way in the rain um, to get myself to the train station. But the pivotal moment for me was, this is pre-cell phone, that I had this epiphany that nobody in the world, including me, knew where I was. 
at that point in time. And it seemed to me that, okay, now here are my own two feet and all I have are my faculties and my wits about me and I can do anything. And I had actually been kind of a reserved, shy person and that gave me quite a bit of confidence to to rely on myself to move forward in whatever way I felt I needed to do. So I've then sort of jumped in with both feet. (laughs) That is an awesome story. And uh, I think that this is amazing. And I'm, I'm wondering, has that ever translated into how you teach? Have you ever, you know, purposefully... And, and I mean, teachers do this all the time, but can you think of a moment when you actually purposefully tried to push a student to be more independent and not be so reliant? Or have you structured activities that 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 created that same sense that you had, maybe not walking through the rain in a foreign country, but maybe giving them the courage to explore um, intellectual ideas on their own and, and they can figure that out? I think so. I think it translated to much more choice in high school and not relying on the class novel. I can think of one particular student very early on in my career, and he was in a second credit of English, and I had pretty much shredded his draft paper that he was quite proud of. And he was sulking, and I said, stop it. This is not the final. This is not the end. And this is not me thinking that you're not skilled. In fact, I think you're highly skilled. And here's how we're going to make this better. And so we had to get over that hump of feedback and translating that. that he And he had been. He had been coasting along and everyone had told him he was fabulous. And I was the first one, it seemed, who said otherwise. And so we could it could have gone badly you know, the influential family in the small town and so on and so forth. But in fact, it went quite well. And I think he's doing quite well, I heard. I don't know. Have Have you watched, I imagine you haven't, but uh, have you watched the Last Dance documentary with Michael Jordan? I have not. Okay. it's So it's got me thinking. It's amazing how documentaries and all kinds of stuff. And so he, they come out at one point and they're talking about how Michael Jordan was really hard. He was a hard guy to be a teammate with. Why? Because he had really high standards and he kind of pushed and that kind of stuff. Now, do I think teachers should be tyrants? Absolutely not. But I think that at times teachers do need to make students slightly uncomfortable so that they move forward in their learning. Um, I think that part of good learning is, is being uncomfortable and doing things that we're not used to and I think that that's what you're speaking to there. You're talking about, you know, maybe maybe having that person question their skills or doing things a different way, but realizing, hopefully, that they can overcome that and they can actually be just as successful and learn new things. So, But I, I think the missing piece is we don't always tell our students that we need to make them uncomfortable. We mm. omit that. And mm-hmm. so they're left discombobulated or um, not sure where they stand with you and you're merrily going along assuming. Mm -hmm. And so I think we need to be more explicit. 
Do you think that that's in opposition to a lot of the mental health messaging that we've been getting? It's like, oh, no, we got to make everyone comfortable all the time. And uh, yet at the same time, we're saying that to have really good learning, we have to make people uncomfortable. But maybe it's just that we haven't talked about it. I'm going to purposely make you uncomfortable um, for this goal, hopefully. I don't know, and it's think? still safe. Right. I think we, we have to continue to provide the boundaries of safety that in here we can stretch, we can uh, push each other right to the the line, if you will, and it's okay to do so. Right. And we can we have to have strong relationships with those students so that they would trust us. And then secondly, for them to be like, hey, do you know what? I, I, you know, I'm not okay with this. I just need you to back off for a little bit. I see where you're going, but... Yeah, this is a little bit much in that back and forth. Uh, let's do a favorite app or a website or a film. I know that you're books, but we'll get there. We'll get there next. Something not book. Anything that you're using right now or that you use often that you like to lead others to? Well, if you looked at my most frequently used websites, you would find my deepest, darkest secrets. And I play online Scrabble a lot. Nice. I, it has to do with words, I know. I, it's an invited site. I play about 13 games and have for a number of years. Okay. I know this is going to be a tough one, but I'm only going to let you have two. Two. Book remic- better than one. Two book recommendations that you're really... Um, you're really floating around. They're really making you think or maybe you're, you're uh, recommending to other people to read right now. Yep. And they're both by the same author. Oh, interesting. Uh, the books I'm using most with my principles are Intentional Interruption by Dr. Stephen Katz out of OISE. And the second one is The Intelligent Responsive Leader. So I have excerpted those the most um, very deliberately with different principles, depending on the conversations that I want to have. Uh, we've we've already talked about reading, and maybe you'll you'll use that. But is there something that you do every day or most days that keeps you well and healthy? I sing. After a twenty-five year hiatus, I started taking voice lessons this fall as something to do for myself. It's something that is underappreciated in the physical world as well, because singing's hard. You gotta. It's... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> New muscles. New muscles, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and that is actually another, <laughs> another one of our uh, things that make us similar. I remember us talking about that last time we were together. How about an organization or a person who is really inspiring you that you're uh, thinking a lot about and that you're following to to see what they have to say because you really respect them? I think I am one of the most fortunate people in the world to have quite a lot of people who have influenced or inspired me. I think of my former superintendent who was such a driven, focused, passionate leader, and yet did so with kindness and recognition of the human side of everything that we do. And so if I can be just a little bit like that, I would like that a lot. What are some of the things that you're working on 
right now. What are some of the questions you're looking at tackling, maybe some of the projects that you're working on? I think big picture for me right now is how do we emerge from COVID-19 as a system? I think for the past six or seven weeks, we've been in crisis response, I will say, Uh, daily phone calls with the ministry and the trustee association, uh, information changing hourly. Uh, So lots of communication, those kinds of good things that are happening. And now I'm starting to think, how do we emerge from this? And in fact, are there pieces of this that we can take forward? Uh, we've done more change in a short period of time in education and other people, and Simon Breakspear has said that as well. Um, and I don't want to lose sight of that. Like I, I think we have pulled out that we are more agile and able to pivot than we even knew possible. And I think we've been holding ourselves back in some respects. We're our own worst enemy. And so, so you're kind of talking about keeping that confidence or, you know, we question, oh, we can't move, we can't do this, we can't change. And what you're saying is that, you know, we have, we have the example when, when, when we don't have this choice, we're able to make some, some really fast um, changes and, and respond quickly. And we're able to be agile. Is that what you're kind of saying? You don't want to lose that? I don't want to lose that at all. And how do we keep those good pieces of remote learning alive. Um, I keep repeating the words asynchronous and personalized over and over and over. Uh, The chemistry teacher is kind of annoyed with me, just generally speaking, because I suggest that as we move back to whatever school looks like in the fall, there is no more time in the schedule. And we've talked in Manitoba about recovery learning. And I've suggested that one might now need to um, think of curriculum like an accordion and contract uh, pieces that you used to spend three weeks on because you actually need to do it in two because you're going to have to either heavily scaffold or reteach um, component pieces that children have missed. And I think we can do it. I think asynchronous and personalized and maybe it has to look like centers imagine that in the high school setting i'm excited i think so you know i i think uh as i said i i think you're uh very inspiring not only your um book lists but also just uh, a great follow uh, if people want to follow along with you what's your uh twitter handle and and is there any other ways that people can kind of follow along with what you're up to Yeah, Twitter is probably the best bet. It's Peters underscore Leanne L. We'll keep it in the show notes. And and I want to thank you so much, Leanne. Um, Really enjoy every time we talk. And and, uh, yeah, I'm glad to hear that everything's going well in Manitoba and and that you're making it through this COVID pandemic as a a system and as a leader and, and really thinking about how we might emerge from this even stronger. So thank you so much for taking a little bit of time to speak with me today. Well, thanks, Corey. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Intersection Education Podcast. Before you go, I'd like to recognize that the land where this interview took place is a sacred place that has a long history of human existence. 
This land has helped people like the Cree, Salto, Nisitapi or Blackfoot, Métis, and Nakota Sioux live well for thousands of years. Let us continue to live well and respect this land.